If you don't know, you better ask somebody who I be. On land, there or sea, I don't need no ID. Once again, let's get under their skins like IVs. Or Roman numeral fours, who we doing this for? I got a shoe in the door, nothing new anymore. Y'all got love for me, I got love for you and yours. Take down part zero, my friend. Rappers is fighting like Tyson. With nothing else work, y'all start biting. My shit and his shit, I'm hoping it in. I live my life like a lotto ticket, hoping it win. Purple haze got me choking again, hoping again. I'm what's cracking. Like your mama smoking again. If you see a model, then you might see me follow. Rubbing her thighs like a Latin, rub the genie bottle. Back for another swallow. Message, you know my model. You might just win the day, but I'll be back tomorrow. Alright, y'all, what is going on? This is your man Eric Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is a place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. Uh, today, I wanted to get into some NFL, uh, some NFL news. We'll talk about the Pro Bowl. We're gonna talk about the Raiders' new hiring of Josh McDaniels. I wanted to talk about it in my last, uh, my last edition, but I wasn't able, to, wasn't able to. I got caught up in some other things. Uh, I do want to get into some uh, news going down in Miami as well. Dave recently signed a new coach. We're going to talk a little bit about Alvin Kamara and the Kamara and the drama that he is in. I also want to get into some college basketball. We are in a new week, which means there's a new top 25. So we're going to go through that. We're also going to go through the scores from the weekend and also from tonight, of course, in the top 25. Later on this week, I do want to get through the conference standings, at least the conferences, at least all the teams that are represented in the top 25. I want to go through the conferences that are that they are in. Uh, so uh, that'll be what we get into later on this week. Again, as far as tonight is concerned, just some uh, college basketball, uh, just some scores. Like I said, we're going to go through the top 25, break down some of these teams. No real news to go over in that department. Uh, but uh, before I continue, also, uh, we are going to get, I'm, I am going to get into what the future uh, projects are going to be. So uh, keep a lookout for that as well. But anyways, there is something, there is, yeah, there's a few things I do want to get off my chest. I wasn't able to talk about this either uh, in last week's uh, in last week's episode, but of course, in the last couple of weeks, we had the MLB, you know, uh, Hall of Fame, you know, kind of presentation. And for another year, of course, Barry Bonds misses out on it. And uh, I believe this is his last year eligibility. Of course, he will not be able to, you know, I guess be accepted at any point anymore and of course uh his fan base mostly giants fans i guess you know fans who quote-unquote love baseball and you know got you know gotta give everybody their just due or the benefit of the doubt despite what you know shit tells you uh it is and um again they you know again once again they stick up for this guy they complain and they bellyache about why he hasn't been accepted into the Hall of Fame. And they got a whole bunch of excuses going from uh, race to, you know, they took advantage of these players they knew or the baseball writers were out of touch and so forth and all, yada, yada, yada. And uh, the older that I get, and of course, uh, being an A's fan, so I'm a fan from across the bay. And this is no salt. This is no shade because I got a lot of love and respect for people like, well, players 
on the Giants or who have played for the Giants, such as Madison Bumgarner, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain, uh, even, you know, uh, T.J. Snow, if we take it back, Jeff Kent to an extent, uh, you know, so many different players. And But I just wasn't a fan of the team as, you know, as a whole. Or I never rooted for them because, of course, I'm an A's fan. This is what we do. And particularly when I was younger, I'm not rooting for who I'm not a fan of. You know, now I can respect different teams. You know, now I have multiple teams that I can watch and tolerate, whatever. But it wasn't like that back then. So I didn't never like the Giants. You know, I just liked a few different players, just liked how they played. But, you know, I, I never would watch them consistently enough to, to call myself a fan. But anyways, you know, long story short, you know, hearing about everything that happened, you know, originally when this drama, you know, occurred, of course, I was, I was in middle school, right? I remember the first thing I was thinking, you know, about the whole Balco situation, watching on local news, of course, because he's on a local team, right? Local sports team. And you're hearing about this local star, you know, he's been caught up in this, this situation. And, you know, even then, you know, you kind of already seen what the MLB can do to people who they think have been on steroids and kind of get that idea. Um, you know, just kind of my initial reactions and just kind of piecing everything together. Cause it took me, you know, at least a few weeks to kind of understand everything. And of course I had to get older and really truly understand things, of course, cause that's just how life is. Now, initially my thoughts were he outright definitely was a cheater uh, I don't think he should have been banned from baseball, but I mean, a anything he does is just like, whatever, you know, I don't give a fuck. And, um, part of that is part of that never really changed. Now, do I feel like there's some nuance to that? Yes. Uh, you know, baseball and, and the sport that has become has allowed for players to do that for a long period of time and not just in the modern era, but you know, there's been, you know, some type of you know, performance enhancement use, you know, product throughout the history. And there's different ways that there's, you can be performance enhancing in baseball as well. Just ask the pitchers and what they can do with what they would, what they used to get away with, with the substances they would put on the, the balls that they would use. Right. So I, the thing about baseball, at least that's how they want to, you know, tell us that is that it, you know, try to sell it to us as the fan or just the people in general, general, you know, consensus, the hope is for us to become fans, right? Is that it's supposed to be this pure sport, okay, where this guy, he grabs a ball, he throws this ball, and this guy, he's supposed, on the other end, is supposed to hit this ball, and if it's in play, you know, of course, somebody's going to try to catch it, you know, so on and so forth, the guy might, you know, strike out. That's the way it goes. But it's supposed to be mano y mano, you know, your skill versus my skill, like any sport kind of you would think would be. So my, my, my thought about, you know, performance enhancing drugs hasn't really changed. I don't think there's a, a need for them in sports and they are cheating. Now, with that being said, there's so much, you know, fame and glory given to the statistical, you know, successes in any sport, whether it be football, basketball, you know, or of course, baseball. In baseball, the, the most important stat to have is home runs. Home runs, home runs, home runs are the are the king stat in baseball. 
That's where all the glory lies. That's where everything, you know, is generated. Just like in the heavyweight division, to be the heavyweight, sorry, to be in boxing, if we were to talk about boxing, to be a heavyweight champion of the world. That's the champion of all champions. It doesn't matter. Like there, I mean, the world is, you know, it's, they, you know, how they, how they talk about boxing is that, you know, it's one great heavyweight champion away from annihilating every other sport. That's how they try to t sell us that sport. But um, baseball, you know, you got to hit the home run. Otherwise, you're not remembered in as as much as these players are, for better or worse. And that, to me, that kind of sucks. I don't get me wrong, there's certain players that transcend home runs, transcend certain stats, of course. You know, you have those anonymous. You have your Tony Gwynn's. You have your Ricky Henderson, still great players. But it seems to me that there's this draw to these players that just hit home runs. And I'll be honest with you, uh, with all I've known and what I've studied about baseball, what I know about baseball, the most impressive home run hitters will forever be Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth. Sorry for me. Just their natural ability to really do it. And here's where, you know, the argument for Barry Bonds comes in and this is where I'm going to tell you you guys kind of kill yourself with that your own argument well really what goes into home runs is you got to be able to see the ball you got to be able to to make contact uh, there's certain things that you have to do technically which is true Barry Bonds is what you would define particularly in his uh, prime as a five-tool player I'm completely aware of that but that's the point Having a great batter's eye, having a great arm, that has a lot to do with contact. There's plenty of players with greater batting averages than Barry Bonds could ever sniff at, but they don't have nowhere near the home runs. Tony Gwynn, great batter, batter batting average. Pretty much great contact hitter. Nowhere near the home runs that Barry Bonds has. So... Again, great talent. No one's denying that. But it's almost like why did he really then why did he take it in the first place? If he's that great of a player, this awesome of a player, why is he telling the world, yes, I unfortunately I, I took this. I've been linking up with this guy I've known as my trainer since 2000. I've been doing it right at the peak of where he started to really rise again as a home run hitter. Hmm. Nobody thinks about that. And we could sit there and try to blame baseball and say, well, they knew, they knew. Well, the whole point about what he was taking and what a lot of them were taking the same type of, you know, anabolic steroid was that they couldn't trace it. In the first fucking place. See, so the, the deceit is there. So, okay. So you want me to rock with this guy, but he wants to fraud his league. He wants to lie to his league. To, he got the best advantage out there to do what? To hit home runs? And for what it's worth, yes, he hit all the home runs. Great. 762. Awesome. What else, what other impact has he made outside of statistical? 
in the sport of baseball. He can't compare it to a Roberto Clemente. He's not comparing it to a King Griffey Jr. And if you want to make it about race, Roger Clemens did steroids too, and guess what? He's not in. Mark McGuire did steroids. He's not in. Okay? Jose Canseco ratted him out, ratted a whole bunch of people out. Swear to God, one of the weirdest experiences I had with a celebrity or around celebrity ever in life. I'm with my fan at Universal Studios Hollywood. He a long time ago, ten plus years ago, maybe more. He's there with a girl with his girlfriend, wife, whatever. No one's fucking with him. No one interacts with him. No one says, Hey Jose, what's up, brother? What about no? Nobody says shit. You know why? Cause of all the drama he put motherfuckers through for no fucking reason. All Barry had to do at some point in time kind of took the, you know, professional I plead the fifth like Mark McGuire, but well, I can't even use Mark McGuire because he's not in the Hall of Fame either. But again, you know, there's so many excuses, you know, as to why, you know, he, you know, people want to say he's not in it. Well, the media didn't like him. Well, yeah, he was a jerk, but so many other players are jerks to the media and they're still in their respective Hall of Fames. So it's just like, I, I don't buy that either. Bottom line is, he lied. The people he was associated with was in trouble, in prison, uh, lying to federal people. You know, that's who he was being, that's who he, his representations were, or, you know, of course, or his business dealings or whatever, his trainer, all that type of stuff. That says a lot about his character in a way. Now, he could be, I don't know him personally, because he could be a great father. He is. I'm, he has three children. So that's not for me to say. I don't know him personally. But on the outside looking in, again, he lied to the league. He cheated to be to be great. And my thing is, there's clear evidence that he was using while he while he was getting these numbers. So in my opinion, it is it is tainted. It, I mean, because the question is, do you get as many home runs without the steroids? And if you were truly great, you would figure that out. You would have saw that through. If you're that, the greats did that. King Griffey did that. Ichiro, for what it's worth, he's loved and beloved and will go down in history as one of the greatest. Nowhere near the same amount of home runs as uh, your boy, um, Barry. But he's loved. Not just by the media, but by the the people, unanimously, unconditionally, he had an impact for Asian players. I mean, and if I'm wrong, I, correct me if I'm wrong. As a black baseball fan, I I never connected with Barry. I didn't. I never never felt that. Oh yeah, he doing it for the brothers. But he ought. Now somebody like, you know, Frank Grissom, Jerry Sheffield. I was. A, I'm with them dudes. I mean, for real. Like, even Milton Bradley, you know, was cool. Uh, man, um, oh, there's another one. There's another player that I like more recently. I can't remember his name right now. I like CeCe Sabathia as well. So, I mean, shit. Um, I I never connected with him as a black fan. To Barry, to Barry Bonds as a black fan, to be honest with you. Uh, if you did, fine. I'm not going to judge you. 
But, I mean, he just hit a lot of home runs. Um, he played for a successful team to an extent. They never won nothing with him, though. Uh, he never won nothing in, in, in Pittsburgh. I think a World Series title would, would have done a lot to help him out uh, along with those numbers, I think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think any also could have left a bigger impact outside the sport. Uh, and I think that's that's lacking uh, from from uh, from what from what his legacy is. Great numbers, of course. They're gonna they're gonna let the record stand. Of course, there's no point in taking them away. But you just think about it at the same time, and the fact that people do that and they think about the drama. I think that's a lot that holds people back because, again, um, you know, Mark McGuire, same thing. I mean, you know, he got caught up with the steroid situation as well. He's not in the Hall of Fame. So I mean, I don't. I can't say it's a whole race thing. Um, I can't say it's pers- a personal vendetta because the writers don't like him. Because uh, I'm pretty sure there's there's writers that, or sorry, there's players that writers don't like either that are in. So it's just, um, oh, it's just hard to say, uh, you know. But I honestly feel like you know the steroid use has a lot to do with it, and it's the fact that people have to think about, you know, would you be as successful. You know that would you have been as successful uh, without the steroids as as you were with them? And I don't. And I, I personally, I don't know. I would have li- I would have rather seen. I would have rather it never have come come up. I would have rather you know uh, he would have never been caught with him. I would have. I'm I more than likely. I know. I I know for a fact. I would have respected. I would have respected what he's done. What he had done. And I would have been uh, more receptive to him going to the. He should have been first ballot had he had he always been clean. And I think that's what the case would have been. But he played himself. He wanted to get those extra numbers to make sure he definitely was going to go in. He was a shooting. And I think that's where you you play yourself because he. I mean, if he he would if he were to have retired in two before two thousand, let's say he he just decided to retire randomly in nineteen ninety nine, he would have been in the home. He would have been in in the hall. At some point, so um, I mean it's ridiculous um, that he he lied about it, and not so much the perjury, but you know, again the initial try to cover it up, and then you know when it when it comes down to it, he's in the trial, he opens up about it. I mean, you have his camp, his trainer, you know. I guess he. He says that evidence is tainted, but he he's he's already he, but he's discussing it. He's discussed what he did, so that's it's already out there. So, I mean, he did it. Um, he never really fully owned up to it and apologized and said, you know, this is the impact of it. You shouldn't do this, and tried to repair himself on his own because he did break away from the MLB to represent himself and do his own. But he could have also made his own brand that says, look, I'm be- I'm beyond that now. Uh, you know, this is my attempt to connect with baseball and with the community. And I don't think he's ever done that. But, hey, you know, that's y'all, man. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I will be breaking down some NFL news. Of course, I'll be going through the pro, the pro ball as well. I'll be right back.
All right, y'all. We are back. Uh, we're gonna break down the NFL. Uh, we, sorry, it's the, we. I don't know what we come up some. We. I am the one doing all this for now. Anyway, um, I'm gonna be breaking down the Pro Bowl real quick. Of course, uh, the AFC got the best in the NFC in this one, 41 to 35. Uh, in this one, the NFC, of course, uh, they had a few different quarterbacks playing. We had Kyler Murray going 18 to 27, 160 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he would also throw an interception. Uh, Russell Wilson would get some action in there as well, going nine to seven. 9-17 for 77 yards and two interceptions. I wouldn't want him to I wouldn't want to trade him to an AFC team. No, I'm just playing. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, y'all. I don't mean nothing by that. <laughs> Anyways, Kirk Cousins would go six to ten for a touchdown. He would throw a pick as well. Mike Evans would be your team's leading receiver. Two receptions for 50 yards and a touchdown. Dalvin Cook, Kyle Yushtick. And also tight end, the rookie tight end, Kyle Pitts, representing the Atlanta Falcons, would all get receiving touchdowns. Yeah, it just was one of those games. Uh, linebacker Micah Parsons, eight total tackles in the sack. Brian Burns get a sack as well. Antoine Winfield Jr. and also Trayvon Diggs uh, would get interceptions for the NFC as well. You take a look at the at the AFC. Mac Jones would get the start, 12 to 16, 112 yards. He would throw a touchdown. He would throw an interception. Justin Herbert, uh, seven of 11 for him, 98 yards. He also had two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, they gave him the MVP of the game, the offensive MVP of the game, and uh, I don't really agree with that. I, I definitely liked what Kyler Murray did, but it don't even matter. It ain't even real football, especially now when they got this new. Was flag football. We might as well just do two hand touch or raps. Remember we used to raps. We used to do raps. Oh God, days are crazy. Uh, we grown now, I guess. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he would go five or ten. Uh, he would throw a pick, but again, it's the it's the Pro Bowl. Who really cares? Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs would have a rushing touchdown. I mean, come on now. Mark Andrews, five receptions, 82 yards, and two touchdowns. Hunter Renfro will get five receptions for 43 yards and a touchdown. Matt Crosby would get himself two sacks and was the defensive MVP of the game. That I agree with. I, I thought he played a really nice game, but, you know, he's been he's been getting sacks off. Well, not necessarily sacks, but quarterback pressures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know them, uh, them Nick Bosa fans hurt. Or, yeah, they hurt. He got 15 and a half sacks. Why he can't go? Why our boy can't go? Well, I, you know, hey, you know, it is what it is. It's just a vote. Um, it's a voting. You know, it's a popularity contest to begin with. So you gotta start with that. Darius Leonard will get four total tackles for the AFC and an interception. Safety Kevin Byard will get an interception, and T.J. Watt will get a sack. There were seven total sacks. Seven total sacks between the two teams. So. They just got after each other uh, again. This is probably the last time they'll ever be able to do so. So they had fun. They had as much fun as they could. They also forced eight turnovers. Uh, I think the NFC got a fumble as well. One of the teams got a fumble as well. I can't remember which one right now. But, of course, uh, you add that up with the picks. Whew. I mean, hey. <laughs> it was the All-Star game. People had fun. They was all over the place. So that's the that's the big thing. I think the biggest story, though, coming out of the Pro Bowl is dealing with Alvin Kamara. Again, uh, more 
more uh more of a reason to get on Vegas as a city, right? City in it for the NFL at least. So I'm still trying to get all the proper, you know, um, I guess the backstory together on what caused this, but Alvin Kamara, Saints starting running back, all you know, of course, you know, all star running back, of course, uh, find him finds well found himself in an altercation in a Las Vegas nightclub on Saturday night, right? Yes, right before the game. And uh, he ended up beating this guy, I'm assuming it's a guy, up really bad, and he's facing uh, battery charges. Now, again, uh, he was taken into a police police custody right after the game, and he was booked at the Clark County Detention Center. Of course, he was posted up on $5,000 bail. I'm pretty sure, you know, he got that. But um, just a very interesting uh, turn of events uh, for Alvin Kamara. This is something that I never, I mean, I've never heard of him getting into any incidents. But again, you don't know people. And um, I don't know all what's coming out from the story. And I think because there's not a whole lot that's come out. I'm, I'm going to assume he was probably, I'm not saying that he was a, or wasn't he was a well the word intended victim don't get me wrong for that that's not to say he's soft or somebody somebody might have interpreted something might have been fucking with him uh what i'm saying is he probably wasn't the aggressor because of just how the story's coming out we don't know everything just i think if it was him that started it you know whatever people would have said yeah we saw the dude do this da 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 you know of course he's visible people know who he is I'm pretty sure they would have kind of, uh, you know, you would have had that that story out. The fact that, you know, dude started, he got beat up. I think that's why he ain't got no story all together right now. So, um, again, I'm going to wait on some more details. Uh, he, Like I said, he's facing battery charges. Uh, there's no, also no word on just how serious those charges are and what they I mean, I guess you could look up simple battery out in that at that county and see what what happens with that. So, um, if he doesn't go to jail, I'm assuming he doesn't. He might face a lawsuit. I mean, again, just to kind of depending on how everything was started, the backstory on the fight. That'll be my assumption. And again, I could definitely be wrong on that. So don't hold me to that. All right, let's move on. We have uh, some new coaching. Um, with some new coaches to talk about. Let's just say it like that. Uh, Dolphins go ahead and uh, they make a really well. It's the it's the fucking media and how they want to do shit. I was I was really giving. Let's just say what happened first, and I'll talk about what happened to me today or what I was asked today. It was a really interesting question. Um, of course the Dolphins they hired a new coach. Uh, they hire former San Francisco offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel. And, uh, you know, it's a four-year uh, stint at this point in time, of course, like they did with Ryan Flores. And he's had a 15-year NFL career. And this was his first season in San Francisco, and he pretty much led the offense to a top-10 finish. They would finish to seventh, to be exact. Uh, and they also had, of course, a big-time all-pro receiver in Debo Samuel. And they have a running game that consists of a motley crew of, you know, 
we don't know who who's gonna be around next year, <laughs> but it did the job, right? Um, McDaniel, like I said, started his career in 2005 as an intern for the Denver Broncos under Coach Gary Kubiak. Uh, he would go on to follow Houston, uh, sorry, Kubiak to Houston as well, where he would serve time as an offensive assistant coordinator, and eventually he would make stops in Green Bay and also DC as well. So he's tenured in the league, and it seems, you know, 15 years, he's knowledgeable. Um, and his most recent position, he was an offensive coordinator. His offense did pretty well. His offense was one, uh, went away, well, one potential wave went away from the Super Bowl. Things didn't fall, you know, things fell through, um, unfortunately for them, but they had made it that far. So ESPN in their weirdness decides to mention about him. Now, mind you, again, we mentioned about kind of where his background is, made a couple different stops. So he knows a different, he knows a thing or two about different offenses, things of that nature. Blah, 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 blah. ESPN decided to mention in this article about him and his signing that they thought that was important to tell us that he was multiracial. Now, I was asked the question today, what is multiracial? And all I could think of, this was some bullshit media jargon to just go along with the narrative, you know, of what happened recently with Brian Flores. Oh, Miami's racist, la da 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 Well, we hired, well, they hired this multiracial coach. That's an irrelevant fact. I don't know what the fuck he's mixed with, to be honest with you. And I don't fucking care. Because it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> God damn. But it's like, it's like, so he's obviously more than one race. So what, does, what does that even mean? Does it mean his parents are mixed too? I don't know. This is weird. <laughs> this is getting weird. I'm fucking liberals, I swear. Don't... I, I can't take neither red or blue pills. Fuck that. I'm not doing it. Mm -mm. No pill popping, guys, because this is ridiculous. Multiracial. I I know there was a quote somewhere in there about it, the ESPN article about it, but I know I'm not even going to, I wasn't even going to entertain it for this for this segment just because I knew it was going to be super cheesy and just super what the media wants to hear. They want to hear Oh, pro, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck they want to hear. Um, oh, God. But just that just threw me for a loop because I don't think it's, it was necessary to say. Um, it had no relevancy to who he is as a coach. And it's going to have nothing to do with how successful he is. So, I mean, um, complete, complete... Uh, just turn for the weird by ESPN, but I mean this is kind of this is kind of up their alley. This is what they do. I don't get it. Anyway, anyways, wrapping everything up for the NFL. Uh, like I said uh, last week, Josh McDaniels was hired by the Raiders, new head coach. I don't have all the you know uh, stats in terms of um, you know how many how long he's going to be here or anything like that, but um. Of course, I don't know, like teams are just, 
they're they're very interested in you know new New England retreads. Um, I don't understand the fascination. We've seen what happened with Matt Patricia Patricia in Detroit. We saw what Joe Judge in New York. You're <laughs> looking at what happened with Brian Flores in Miami, and he was really the most successful. But the problem is again. See, there was a concession on Tua, and there could have been a there could have been a way to, to get a better quarterback. And I think Flores wasn't having it either way, and that put him in a situation with the front office. That's the biggest thing for him. But I, outside of that, the rest of these coaches are garbage. Uh, Patricia didn't do shit. I mean, McDaniel's he hasn't really. Sh- you know, been a heck. Well, he had that stint in, in the Broncos with the Broncos where it fell apart after that one playoff win. So, not impressed. Joe Judge got cut after like two seasons. I mean, hey, you know, uh, we look at the success that they, they've had and we figured, oh, we just want a piece of whatever that is or what it could be. And, okay, y'all go right ahead. Um, I can't stop you. I ain't gonna, you know, I'm not the owner of the team, <laughs> unfortunately, because I wouldn't, I don't think I would have went with uh, Josh McDaniels. Um, I, I looked at the job, I looked at the job Rick Basaccia did, and I was really impressed, uh, given what was going on. And I also uh, made it a, um, made it a, you know, kind of like a, a task to kind of figure out what the sentiment was about him in general. And the cold part is the players love him. Uh, the players would have rathered him been there, uh, been their coach. Now, the question is, you know, what is he like as a play caller, really, uh, given a fourth season? Um, I'd probably put some really good coordinators around him. I don't, I don't know, because, uh, again, he's a special teams coach. So, um, and I don't know what his expertise is, expertise is defensively or offensively. So I would put a decent amount of uh, coaches around him to help him out, to help him succeed. Well, you know what I mean, coordinators and positional coaches. Uh, but the players seem to be rallied behind him and ready to go. And um, it sucks to kind of see see the front offense acknowledge that and not even we'll see it at least and not even think about it as though it could be a a potential uh a potential you know situation even if you made him a, a positional coach it kept him on the on the rock on the you know within the personnel the coaching personnel that would have been a good start but to kind of let him go in that way and and to hire somebody that people are not really high upon um, I'm I'm not sold on him as a head coach. That being McDaniel's, I wasn't hundred percent sold on Basaccia, but the, the fact that the players rallied behind him, um, I think he can definitely be a part of the fold in some way. Um, I'm just not buying McDaniel's. I'm not feeling it. And of course, the players, uh, they reached out to Basaccia all over social media, Raiders players, and they seem to be really into him. Um, and it, again, it just sucks that the Raiders didn't see fit to kind of retain him in any type of meaningful way. That sucks. Um, 
that's the type of stuff that's the type of stuff that gives you bad juju you know um I didn't like that I don't like that type of move you know that's somebody the players really liked and admired I'm not saying he has to be your main guy but keep him in the mix and, and reward him for what he's done in a way you know compensation wise that's what you want from your job even if things kind of change up a little bit you know a, a place that you're loved and you like that or at least you think you're respected that it should be I don't know. You should be getting something out of that. And that kind of just sucks. Again, just the Raiders not really getting it right on that point. I don't know what Josh McDaniels brings to the table. Um, I, I'm, you know, I do know one thing. The Raiders are searching for some type of identity. So I think that, you know, makes sense to kind of get somebody that, you know, known success at, you know, some point. Um, I don't know if that's your guy, though. But again, uh, we were looking for the best name. That's the kind of situation that I get the best name available. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think we could have did a better job here. Could have taken our time to an extent and just could have really uh, combed the field and got somebody that really would fit this team. Um, yeah, it kind of sucks. It's like when we, I think uh, there was a period in time, I think right before we got John Gruden, uh, where we could have had Wade Phillips at least for a couple of years. And Wade Phillips was really high on this team. He really wanted to be here. And we decided to go with a younger group and just, I don't know, for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I thought that Wade Wade Phillips is a great recruiter. People really want to play with him, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, you know, I think people that like to be in a certain position or want to be there, they seem to have success because they're going to really be working at it. So, that's just my type of opinion on it, and I just think the Raiders, you know, missed that mark again. Somebody was, that was really willing to work with us and help us be a better team, whatever side of the ball his expertise might be in, um, and just kind of lead us. Uh, and he seems to be a good leader. So, again, whoever his next position is, he's going to be highly successful. And I, I wish him the best. I just It's unfortunate that we couldn't um, hold on to him. But um, I'm going to take one last break, y'all. And when we come back, we're breaking down some college basketball. A lot to get into from the weekend and also Monday night. So I will be right back. up for tonight tonight we are going to go over some college basketball we're going to go through the top 25 first and then we're going to go through a uh, recap over the weekend of course we're going to get through what went down monday night let's start off with number 25 we have xavier coming in at 16 and 6 for the week and number 24 we have yukon at 15 and 6 
We have two new arrivals to the top 25. First up at number 23, we have Murray State at 22-2. 10th in the nation in scoring currently at 81 points per game. 4th in off offensive rating, excuse me. And they are 20th in field goal shooting at 48%. So they got a lot of good things going for them offensively. Not too shabby defensively as well. They are 32nd in points allowed a game with just over well almost 63 points per game they're also 31st in total rebounds this team is led by two juniors two juniors excuse me at guard we have tevin brown over 17 points per game five over five rebounds and also three assists and for kj williams over 16 points per game for him and also eight rebounds at number 22 we have saint mary's out here in out here in Moraga, California, uh, 19-4 is their current record. They are sixth, uh, sorry, sixth in the nation in points allowed. A game at 58, a little bit over 58. They're also 16th in defensive rating at 89.3. They are 7-1 in the West Coast Conference. Uh, of course, this is where Big Bad Gonzaga plays. Uh, they've won seven straight uh, since their last loss to BYU back on January 8th. Uh, but they will be having a big matchup this Saturday on the road against Gonzaga. And if I have the time this week, I will do my best to kind of give a preview of this game. Uh, I did say I wanted to break down the uh, the conferences, at least for the teams in the top 25. And uh, we might as well just save that for that point as well when we get to the West Coast Conference. But anyways, at number 21, we have a familiar face here. USC, they've taken the tumble the past few weeks. They're at 19-4 and four this week. They come in at uh, 20. Uh, coming, coming in, they're coming in at number 21. Excuse me. At number 20, uh, we have Texas. They are coming off a big win over... Um, Excuse me. Excuse me. They're coming off a big win over Kansas tonight. Uh, They're currently looking at a record of 18 and 6. Uh, moving on, we got. We will be breaking down that matchup with Kansas in just a little bit. At number 19, we have Tennessee, who is 16 and 6. Uh, at number. Uh, sorry, yes. At number 18, we have Marquette at 16 and 7. At number 17, we have Michigan State at 17 and 5. Uh, they suffered a bad loss this weekend. We'll talk about that. Uh, we have Ohio State here at 14 and 5. Uh, they are, oh, sorry, they are coming in off of a win against Maryland, 82 to 67. EJ Little would have 24 points in that game, five assists and 11 rebounds. Uh, for it's Zed Key and also Justin Aarons will get 14 points each. The Buckeyes will shoot over 50% from the field in that game, also 42% from three. All around an easy game for them, and they are they are currently third, I believe, in the Big Ten. And uh, let's move on to number 15. We have Illinois here at 17 and six. At number 14, we have Wisconsin at 18 and four. At number 15, we have Illinois here at 17 and five. At 12, we have UCLA here. They suffered a bad loss over the weekend. Uh, they are 16 and, four, 16 and 4 currently, excuse me. We also have Providence here. Uh, they are 20 and 2. At number 10, we have Baylor. Uh, they're coming off, well, uh, their last game was actually a loss uh, on, the road to, on the road to Kansas 59 to 83. 
Uh, they were held to just 29% shooting in that game, 29% shooting from the field, 25% from three. They were also outscored 21 to 30, 39 in the second half. And currently this year, uh, Baylor has had some success over the top 25. They're currently three and two, uh, but it looks like it's been a challenge, and uh, it's certainly not gonna. It's not over just yet because again, they're in a pretty tough conference. That being the Big 12. Uh, at number nine, we have Texas Tech at 18 and five. At number eight, we have Kansas at 19 and four. At number seven, we have Duke. Uh, they suffered a loss tonight as well. We will be going through that. Uh, they're currently 19 and four. At number six, we have Houston at 20 and two. At five, we have Kentucky at 19 and four. At uh, sorry, yes. Uh, at number four, excuse me, we have Arizona at 20 and two. At at three, we have Purdue at 20 and three. And Gonzaga, of course, is at number two, 19 and two. And Auburn holds on to their number one spot. We'll talk about what went on with them uh, during the weekend uh, as well. They are 22 and one. So how do we get how do we get here? Uh, we're going to talk about exactly what went on over the weekend. We're going to start off with Saturday. And um, <clears throat> first things first, uh, Villanova will get a W over Connecticut. 84, sorry, 85 to 74 will be the final score in this one. Uh, of course, Villanova 17 and 6, Connecticut 15 and 6. In this one, UConn will be led by RJ Cole. 25 points from him, four assists. Tyrese Martin and also Adam uh, Sanogo will both get 14 points each. Tyrese, uh, Tyrese would add three assists and three rebounds to his totals. For Villanova, they were led by guard, uh, sorry, by forward Eric Dixon. He would get 24 points, 12 rebounds, and also four assists. Guard Colin Gillespie, Gillespie excuse me, will get 19 points and three rebounds. Uh, and a couple of takeaways from this game. Uh, Villanova would actually shoot 50, uh, almost 60% from the field, also 54 uh, 54% from three. Uh, they, would out, they would outscore UConn in the first half, 40 to 29. Uh, Villanova also controlled the boards as well, uh, 28 to 20. They also forced 10 steals. Uh, UConn would also give up 15 turnovers, so not uh, you know turnovers and just Villanova just shooting the lights out. Uh, Villanova wins easy. Uh, they are near the top of the Big East, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, moving on, we have some Big Ten action. Illinois will get a W over Indiana, 74 to 57. We have Tennessee here getting the W over South Carolina, 81 to 56. Uh, Georgia would hold on uh, slightly, just slightly, barely, uh, to get it done against Georgia, 74 to 72. Of course, holding on to that number one spot. And uh, for what it's worth, again, what it's worth. Uh, I thought it was a really close game, particularly against a team that's six and seventeen in Georgia. So uh, for Georgia, sorry for Auburn, they were led by KD Johnson, twenty points from him, four rebounds. Uh, Wendell Green Jr., their other guard, will get eight, sorry, nineteen points, three assists, and also five rebounds. And Ford Walker Kessler will get ten ten points and also nine rebounds. For Georgia, uh, guard Cario, oh, uh, sorry. So, Hikario Okendo will get 25 points, two assists, and five rebounds. Ford Raylan Bridges will get 14 points and seven rebounds. And guard Jackson Eater will get 13 points and four rebounds. Uh, bad shooting night from Auburn, uh, but for what it's worth, they have a tendency to have these bad shooting slumps in games. 
Uh, it almost cost them in this one. They would go 39% from the field, just 23% from three. Uh, they would have 47 rebounds, though, and 18 offensive rebounds. So, uh, you know, second shot opportunities, definitely. Georgia uh, forced 16, sorry, 16, sorry, 14, sorry. They forced 14 turnovers and also 10 steals. So defensively, they had a good game. Uh, they did all you could do uh, for a 6-17 team, but uh, came down to one final shot. Uh, there was a controversy at the end. There was a no call, like I said, on that last final shot by Auburn. Uh, they drove down the court. Uh, he was able to get, uh, I believe this was, uh, I, can't, I think it was either KD Johnson or, or Walker Kessler. I can't remember one of those guys. Uh, but they were able to get into the paint, uh, got one last basket in. There could have been some contact that could have been ruled as offensive, an off offensive foul. The, the refs didn't call it again. They saying it's controversial. Hey, it is what it is. And the number one team in the nation wins ugly. Moving on, we have Texas getting a W against Iowa State. Iowa State has just been a letdown offensively this whole season at points. Texas will get a dub, like I said, 63-41. to 41. Iowa State, you know, gets kicked out of the top 25. They're currently 16-7. In that game, they were led by Isaiah Brockington. I mentioned it before. He's in a lot of their, sto uh, their scoring. The problem is nobody else has been able to really help him out. Uh, but he scored 12 in that loss to Texas. He also got eight rebounds. Guard Tyrese Hunter will get 10 points and seven rebounds. Uh, but moving, on, moving on to Texas, uh, we have uh, three players, sorry, two players getting 14 points, that being guards Andrew Jones and Marcus Carr. Uh, Jones would, add, would also add eight assists and five rebounds to his totals, and four Christian Bishop will get 10 points and seven rebounds. Uh, the biggest takeaways was just the the terrible, you know, this terrible shot selection from the Cyclones. 28% shooting from the field, 13%, 2 of 15 from 3. They were outscored 18 to 38 in the second half. They stood really no chance at certain at one point, and it just was over kind of early, really. Uh, but Texas would also force 8 steals, 18 turnovers. They would also have 5 blocks, so a good game from the Longhorns defensively. And coupled with what they were able to do Monday night, they might, uh, they might be starting to become a force in that Big 12. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, moving on, we have some more Big 12 action Saturday with Texas Tech getting it done against West Virginia, 60-53. to uh, We have the first upset of the weekend with DePaul uh, getting a W over Xavier, 69-65. to Of course, Xavier is 16-6. DePaul will lead that game 11-10. Uh, for DePaul, they were led by guard Cavassier McCauley. 21 points from him, 3 assists, and 5 rebounds. I like that name, Cavassier. Damn, that's a dope-ass name. Guard uh, Julian Terry would get uh, 13 points and 3 rebounds. And also forward Brandon Johnson would get 12 points and 8 rebounds. For Xavier, uh, guard Paul Scruggs would get 21 points and 6 rebounds. Forward Jack Nunge will get you 12 points, 3 assists, and 7 rebounds. And Colby Jones, their other guard, will get 11 points and 5 rebounds. A couple, a couple takeaways from this game. Um... Xavier was outscored in the first half, 34 to 27. Uh, basically, the story of the game just going hot and cold in terms of their scoring. DePaul uh, basically ended ended a four-game losing losing streak, and this was without their leading scorer, Javon Freeman Liberty, for the fifth straight game. So again, uh, they're making stuff happen. 
uh, but more so an ugly game from Xavier. Uh, that's pretty much what it happened to. This was the first loss to an unranked team for Xavier this season. Uh, might be your only one, but it's just it's just something that you don't want to get into a habit of. You know, not at this point in the year. We're getting close to uh, March. You don't want losses like this. But moving on, we take it back to the Big Ten. We get Michigan. Uh, they take an L here to Purdue, of course, 76-82. to 82. Uh, we also have, uh, we, like we said before, uh, Kansas getting it done against Bailey. We talked about that. Bailey just shooting terrible uh, from the field, terrible from three. It was a blowout. Uh, it wasn't really that close. Uh, we have another upset this time in the SEC. Uh, well, LSU is no longer ranked. So uh, they were here, but uh, this was until they got beat by Vanderbilt, 75-66. to 66. Sorry, LSU. Y'all not in the rankings no more. It's the way it go. And uh, we also have some more action against Saturday. It was just a busy, busy day, um, to say the least. And um, we do have some Pac-12 action to get to. Uh, we have uh, USC taking an L here to Arizona, 63-72. to Of course, uh, USC got help from Isaiah Mobley. They're forward 15 points from him. Four assists, seven rebounds. Chavez Goodwin, Boogie Ellis, and also Ethan Anderson would get you eight points. Isaiah White got you nine. Not a whole lot of help from the rest of the Trojans. Uh, but Arizona, uh, Azuolis Tubelis, man, um, he's a monster. 18 points from him, uh, 11 rebounds. He gets help from Kerr Krisa, 13 points all in the second half. Two assists from him and also five rebounds. Uh, true Trojans, a uh, story of many teams uh, over the weekend, just not finding their shots uh, or just taking bad ones. Uh, 34% from the field for them, 23% from three. Just not a good game from the Trojans offensively. Moving on, we have Michigan State. They take an L here. Another significant upset loss from over the weekend. Uh, they lose to Rutgers 63 to, 280, 63 to 84. Uh, Rutgers is 13 and 9, by the way, 7 and 5 against the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State is 8 and 3. Uh, but for Michigan State, they were led by four. Gabe Brown, 20, 20 points, five rebounds. Uh, we also got four. Marcus Mingham. Junior getting into action with 12 points and also four rebounds. Uh, for Rutgers, Clifford Omoruri uh, and also Ron Harper Jr. Yes, the one from the Bulls. Well, the Ron Harper from the Bulls, his son. Yes, they both get 17 points. Uh, 17 points and four rebounds. Exactly, 17 points, four rebounds. Uh, guard Gio Ballar uh, and also Ford uh, Dean Reber get 12 points and guard Paul Malak. Mulaki gets 15 points, 12 assists, and also four rebounds. Rutgers would control the boards, uh, 31 to 20, a 31 to 20 advantage for them. They also forced 15 turnovers. Uh, the Spartans were outscored 25 to 44 in the second half. Don't know how that happened, but lack of defense, pretty much. I mean, um, and and for the. You know, for Michigan State, they've been up and down this year. They're going to have to get it right if they want to win the Big Ten. That's all I'm going to say today. Of course, we're going to get more to the conferences in, the, in a little bit. But for right now, Michigan State just going to have to step up. That's the best I can say. Okay. We also got uh, Duke getting it done on Saturday against their in-state rival, UNC. Of course, North Carolina got a new coach this year. They've, I mean, they have a winning record. Just, you know, they just haven't won the games that – they don't have the record that they, you know, would have wanted, I guess, under head coach uh, Hubie Davis so far. But 
Um, anyways, uh, UNC uh, is now currently 16-7. and seven. Uh, but Duke wins that game 87 to 67 for Duke. They were led by Ford. AJ Griffin, 27 points from him and also four rebounds. Ford's Paolo, Paolo Banchero and also Wendell Moore will get you 13 points. Uh, Banchero will get 10 rebounds and Moore will get five assists and eight rebounds. And uh, for North Carolina, Ford Bradley Manick will lead the way with 21 points and six rebounds. And Ford Armando Backlund will get uh 12 points and 5 rebounds. Four total players would score in double digits for Duke. Uh, big advantage on the boards as well, 40-24. to 24. I had a 31-8 lead going into the first 10 minutes. Uh, just been struggling for North Carolina uh, when it comes to the upper echelon so far. Of, you know, whether it's, you know, college basketball or just in the ACC, it's just, you know, um, they're finding their way under their new head coach. That's what happens. Um, every new coach struggles in their first couple of seasons, their first season uh, more notably. Uh, it's just the way that it is. And, um, you know, uh, to my North Carolina North Carolina fans, you know, I just got to ride with it. You know, it's the way it is. Uh, things will get right. Uh, Hubie knows basketball. He's been around it, you know, for a, while, a long time. Uh, he was taught by the best. So he'll he'll be all right, you know. He'll be all right. It's just you know, just one of those times, you know. Uh, you know, start off. It starts off always. Always starts off rough, rough for certain people, you know, for certain coaches. This is the way it is. Uh, but let's move on back to the Pac-12. Another significant upset here. We have UCLA going down at three overtimes to Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State is currently seven and fourteen with their loss tonight to Arizona, and. Uh, Wow, I don't know how UCLA dropped this one, but the final score was 87 to 84. For UCLA, they were led by, of course, Jaime Jaquez, uh, 27 points from him, 11 rebounds. Johnny Juzang, 20 points from him, 10 rebounds. And Tiger Campbell will get himself five assists to go along with 13 points. Uh, for Arizona State, they were led by Marion Jackson, 24 points from him. Uh, four as four rebounds and five or six and I think he's definitely a scoring factor he's been man uh, hot as a late least you know for you know what they want for them you know uh it hasn't led into a whole lot of wins lately but I mean he's been doing he with all he can do offensively at least but Ford uh Jalen Graham will get you 16 points 10 rebounds and also six assists and guard Jay Heath will get 12 points and five rebounds um oh wrapping up on wrapping up what went down Saturday we got Gonzaga getting an easy win over BYU 90 to 57 now Sunday a few a uh, few less games only 3 to be exact but a uh, pretty easy breakdown uh we have Providence getting it done getting it done excuse me against Georgetown 71 to 52 of course we mentioned before Ohio State getting that win against Maryland easily 82 to 67 and of course uh in the final game of the night houston got it done against cincinnati 50 sorry 80 to 58 uh houston of course 20 and 2 cincinnati uh, will go to 15 and 7 after the loss for houston they were led by ford fabian white jr 22 points from him seven rebounds jamal sheed their guard will go will get 17 points six assists and five rebounds and guard Taze Moore will get 13 points, four assists, 
and three rebounds. For Cincinnati, guard David DeJulius will get 25 points, four assists, and four rebounds. I believe uh, DeJulius was a, was a prospect from somewhere in Northern California. I can't remember the top school, but every time I come across somebody from near me, my region, I always got to put them on because it's always good to do that. You got to be positive and give praise when it's due. So David Julius, 25 points, four assists, four rebounds. California kid, clap. I'm going to clap for you. Good job, brother. You didn't win the game, but of course you, you did what you could do. Uh, you looked pretty well playing. Uh, if I do, do so, do so add 25 points, like I said, a leading scorer for Cincinnati. Uh, again, he just didn't get the help. Uh, from his teammates, Jeremiah Davenport was, your t was the team's next leading scorer with just nine points and four rebounds. Not so, not a whole lot to take away from this game. Uh, Cincinnati didn't shoot particularly well. Houston forced a lot of turnovers, which is what they've they've been doing the last few years uh, since they've been back, uh, at least uh, in the top 25. At least they've been – well, that's what they've been doing since they've been relevant in that realm. Um, you know, forcing a lot of turnovers, playing decent enough defense, you know, Keeping teams from shooting at, you know, great, you know, percentages. They shoot teams shoot terrible against Houston for some reason. It's just the way it is. They play really good defense and they lock you down. Uh, but let's move on to money because I do I did forget. Uh, well, the scores from tonight or last night, whenever you are listening to this, because I do have a little bit of news that I did want to touch up on before I let y'all go. But uh, we had, we do have a few games from tonight as well. Like I said, you know last night whenever you are listening to this uh but anyways uh we go to the acc and uh number seven duke uh did take a l here uh they lose to virginia 68 to 69 and like i say about virginia if they can keep a team scoring under 70 if they can score over 65 they're gonna win that's just <laughs> i've been watching virginia play and just kind of keeping up with their scores uh, for a while now, at least since, uh, you know, definitely, you know, since I've been doing this and uh, one pattern that I did say, did see have, I, that I've always seen with them is under 70 over 65 for them. Like I said, if they score over 65 and keep a team scoring below 70, a lot of times they win. This is just in that, that little ballparks Duke score 68. They get to 69. So it's the way it is. Duke is 19 and four. Now, of course we mentioned that in uh, Virginia is 15 and nine for, uh, for Virginia for Jaden Gardner, 17 points, eight rebounds uh, for Jaden uh, Shedrick, excuse me, will get 16 points and six rebounds. So the two Jadens were on fire for the Cavaliers. And uh, guard Amin Franklin will get you 11 points, three assists, and three rebounds. For Duke, Mark Williams, their center, will lead the way with 16 points and four rebounds. And guard Trevin, Trevor Kills will get 12 points, uh, 12 points, two assists, and four rebounds. Uh, again, Virginia, they, uh, they play pretty decently defensively. Uh, particularly near the end, forcing a couple couple uh, turnovers, just you know, forcing Duke into some missed shots. And again, that's just how they win. That's just their that's just their key. They they scratch and they claw and they stay they stay in there. They stay in there. That's what they do. Uh, moving on, like I said, we had a Big Twelve matchup with Texas getting it done against uh, number eight Kansas. 
Uh, 79 to 76 was the final score. Uh, Texas moved to 18 and 6 overall, 7 and 4 versus the Big 12. Kansas is 19 and 4 overall, of course, 8 and 2 versus the Big 12. For Kansas, they were led by four Jalen Wilson, 18 points, 11 rebounds. Four David McCormick would have 16 points and seven rebounds. And we got guard Christian Braun, 13 points from him. Uh, just a just a decent game. Uh, all around for Kansas, but again, they just come up a little bit short. Uh, Timmy Allen for the Longhorns will get 24 points and 9 rebounds. Uh, we also got Trey Mitchell getting 17 points and 4 rebounds. And guard Marcus Carr and Andrew, Andrew Jones, excuse me, both getting 10 points each. Uh, now, Kansas would, sc would score 41 points in the second half. Texas would need, the la need a last-second layup from Allen and a steal from Marcus Carr to kind of cl uh, close the deal. He also made a couple of shots from the line. The Jayhawks would give up 24 points on 15 turnovers. That was their Achilles heel. Too many extra possessions for Texas. Um, keeping them in the game, that ain't good. Um, Texas has a pretty good defense as well. Although uh, Kansas just opened up on them in the second half, but uh, they made the plays when they needed to. Marcus Carr came in with the, with that steal, uh, completely changed the game. Texas would have a slight edge on the boards as well, and they would also get 15 offensive uh, offensive rebounds. So again, second shot opportunities for Texas. That was a story of the game: rebounds and just turning the uh, forcing turnovers. That's how you. That's how Texas. And the real defensive-minded players, uh, the defensive-minded teams play. That's what it is. Finally, we have uh, Arizona. They get it done against, like I said, their their sorry, their in-state rival Arizona State, ninety-one to seventy-nine. Uh, of course, uh, you know Arizona is where they're at at number four. Uh, they are ten to one versus the Pac-12. Arizona State is three and eight uh, versus the Pac-12 for Arizona. Another big game from Azulas Tubelis, 19 points. Uh, Tubelis, I think that's my how you pronounce it. I gotta hear that. I gotta hear his name be said, and I'll be comfortable. 19 points, uh, 11 rebounds. Guard Benedict Benedict Matherin uh, gets 18 points and five rebounds, as well as three assists. So the key to success for Arizona is getting Tubelis to go off, and then. Just getting one other person to get about the same amount of points that he got, and they always gonna win. No, I'm just playing. But for Arizona State, Marion Jackson again uh, doing his thing. Uh, one of the teams leading, stores, leading scores along with Jay Heath. They will go both get 16 points. Excuse me. For for the Wildcats, they will shoot 56 percent, and they also score 50 points in the second half. Uh, like I said, they shot 56 percent from the field. Excuse me. Just like I said, uh, just blew out the Sun Devils in the second half. Arizona State would force 20 turnovers and 12 steals, but uh, they weren't able to, to uh, convert those turnovers, unlike uh, unlike Texas was. They just didn't have that same success. They can't shoot uh, nearly as good as some of these other teams can, but they play, def they play okay defensively. They just ain't got no offense. Uh, but before I let y'all go for this episode, uh, there was uh, a bit of news that I wanted to break down from uh, college basketball, but just a few coaches uh, to think about right now because they're officially on the hot seat, so to speak. And if things don't go right, uh, you more than likely ain't going to be seeing them again. 
So first coach we're going to break down is Patrick Ewing down there at Georgetown. He was hired at and hired in 2017. Things haven't gone right to say the least. He's currently six and twelve uh, this season, zero and seven versus the Big East, and his uh, and this is of course his fifth season, and he's currently on an eight-game losing streak, on par to be the first team to finish with uh, zero conference wins since DePaul in 2009. Not a good look. Not at all. And of course, he's a legendary player from the program. It's just getting ugly. That's probably why he's been there for five years. But overall, he is seventy sorry, sixty eight and seventy one overall there at Georgetown. And he's twenty six and fifty one in conference play. So it's been ugly. It's been miserable. And I definitely think they might put that puppy to bed pretty soon. Uh, we also got Tom Crean over there at Georgia, six and seven. Uh, this season, uh, he's also well, six and eighteen. No, six and seventeen. Sorry, uh, and he's uh forty six and sixty four in four seasons. So he hasn't been getting the job done. I believe, uh, I forget if I'm not mistaken, he was from a pretty decent program beforehand where he had done done some things. I think historically, he's he's won a championship or something or been close, something like that. But he just hasn't gotten it done in Georgia. Uh, currently, they are 186 in scoring, 71 points per game. That's what they're getting. They're giving up 77 points a game. Not a good look. So, uh, definitely somebody that might be out there near the end of the year as well. Uh, we also got Bruce Weber from Kansas State. He's he's at year 10 in Manhattan. Of course, not Manhattan, New York. Manhattan, Kansas. That's, that's the name of the town. Don't believe me. Google it. I don't care. 10 to 10 so far this year. So he's 500. He has the best record so far of these coaches. But he's struggling within his conference as well. 2-1-6 versus the Big 12. He did, he did have back-to-back wins over Texas Tech and Texas in uh, earlier this year. Uh, but he blew a 17-point lead uh, versus Kansas. Now, I don't... I don't know how many times that I don't know how many times Kansas State is gonna ever have a 17 point lead on Kansas, but they gotta get the job done, and they weren't able to. And since then they've lost five. Well, they've lost three straight, so they're trying to get back on the right track, but it's been hard. But you know they've been relatively competitive. Uh, five of their losses have been by three points or less this season, but it's just that's that hurts. That hurt, and then there's that what if factor. Now, what if we could have? Uh, you don't want to play that too much. And since 2019, uh, Weber has gone nine and 35 uh, in conference play. So those are not good stats. You gotta be able to beat your conference. You gotta win those conference games. That's what's gonna get you to March. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, well, not unfortunately, but that's just the nature of the beast. If you want to get a playoff spot or a postseason berth, uh, you gotta. Uh, at least win your regular season uh, title or get as close to it as, you know, top two, maybe top three. Uh, if you don't win the regular season title, uh, you know, winning that, that conference, that conference tournament may help, you know, as well. But you gotta, you gotta win your conference. That's the story. And uh, that's why later on this week, we are going to be definitely going through uh, these uh, conferences for college basketball. But speaking of which, I am in the process of working on some projects for YouTube, of course, uh, history of Oregon football. 
that will be done pretty soon. We are now, or I am now recording and editing. Look for that to be put out soon. As far as the podcast is concerned, uh, we have some news from around the country that we're getting into. I do want to get into this friction that's going on uh, with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, of course, we'll be getting back into the NBA. Sorry, yes, the NBA. And of course, uh, we'll be giving. I'll be giving you guys a uh, MLB update as well. As far as I know, the strike is still on. Um, I haven't heard anything about anything. Uh, you know, um, training camp related. Of course, spring training related. Anything like you know, you know what I mean. Spring training, nothing like that yet. Uh, but we'll, I'll be figuring it out and you know, what I figure out, I'll be presenting to you. So I'll be leaving my links available for you guys. Uh, if, uh, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. So peace out. One love. I'll holler at you guys later.